Hello and welcome to Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. I'm Ian Masters, and today we'll examine a number of stories and issues in the news. We'll begin with Trump's apparent violation of the Espionage Act, including USC 793, the possible transmission of classified defense information, which is a felony. Joining us is someone familiar with the handling of classified information, Robert Baer, one of the most accomplished agents in CIA history and the winner of the Career Intelligence Medal. He's the author of four New York Times bestsellers, including Sleeping with the Devil, How Washington Sold Our Soul for Saudi Crude. He's considered one of the world's foremost authorities on the Middle East and is an intelligence and national security affairs analyst for CNN. And his latest book is The Fourth Man, The Hunt for a KGB Spy at the Top of the CIA and the Rise of Putin's Russia. And we'll look into the glaring question of why did Trump take the documents and for what purpose? other than monetizing secrets and using them for blackmail, as well as why has it taken so long for the law to catch up with this career criminal and traitor. Then finally, we'll assess the reports in the Washington Post that Trump took nuclear secrets with him from the White House and speak with Joseph Serencioni, a national security analyst and author with over 35 years of experience working in Washington, D.C., He's the author or editor of seven books, including Nuclear Nightmares, Securing the World Before It Is Too Late, and Bomb Scare, The History and Future of Nuclear Weapons. He previously served as president of the Plowshares Fund and was director for nonproliferation at the Canadian Endowment for International Peace, among other positions. He also worked for over nine years on the professional staff of the Armed Services Committee and the Government Operations Committee in the U.S. House of Representatives. Then finally, we'll speak with David Rode, an executive editor of The New Yorker and a former reporter for Reuters, The New York Times and The Christian Science Monitor. He won his first Pulitzer Prize for a series of in The Christian Science Monitor that helped uncover the Srebrenica massacre in Bosnia and won his second Pulitzer in 2009 as part of The New York Times team covering Afghanistan and Pakistan. He's also the co-author of A Rope and a Prayer, which is about his experience being kidnapped by the Taliban in Afghanistan. And his latest book is In Deep, the FBI, the CIA, and the truth about America's deep state. We will discuss his most recent articles in The New Yorker, After the Trump Raid, Silence is Not an Option, for Merrick Garland, and Exhibit A of Trump's Recklessness. And before we go to our first guest, this program is completely independent without corporate sponsors and advertising relying entirely on your support. So we ask you to take a moment and visit backgroundbriefing.org slash donate or go to our nonprofit media foundation at publictruthmedia.org where you can keep us online and on the air on a growing number of stations for as little as $5 a month. Help sustain us into the future so that we can continue to provide breaking news analysis from the most knowledgeable guests at home and abroad. And we've made it easier for you to donate simply by credit card at backgroundbriefing.org slash donate, where your tax-deductible contributions make this program possible. And joining us now is Robert Baer, one of the most accomplished agents in CIA history and the winner of the Career Intelligence Medal. He's the author of four New York Times bestsellers, including Sleeping with the Devil, How Washington Sold Our Soul for Saudi Crude, and he's considered one of the world's foremost authorities on the Middle East and is an intelligence and national security affairs analyst for CNN. And his latest book is The Fourth Man, The Hunt for a KGB Spy at the Top of the CIA and the Rise of Putin's Russia. Welcome to Background Briefing, Robert Baer. Thanks, Ian. So you've been 
dealing with uh, classified information for all your career, Bob. And so how, how does it strike you what we've learning about what was stored down in Mar-a-Lago and from the search warrant, particularly the three violations of U.S. Code 793, which is transmitting of classified defense information, U.S. Code 2071, concealment, mutilation, removal of classified documents, and USC 1519, the destruction of classified documents? Well, first of all, it's, it's the stuff that he's gotten and has taken home unguarded is called is TSSCI, to be technical. And the day I got in the CIA, which is in the 70s, a long time ago, it was drummed into our head that this SCI, especially Compartment and Intelligence, taking it home, talking about it, paraphrasing it, uh, using it in any manner, talking about it on the phone with colleagues on unsecure lines was a felony. It was a jailable offense. There's no doubt about it. Now, Trump since then has made mishandling classified information a felony. So he has flat out committed a felony by his own definition. Now, yes, Hillary Clinton's people did summarize some intelligence on unclassified servers, but it's not the same thing. This is, this, this is very black and white, the law. Until this day, Ian, I cannot talk to you about, for instance, code breaking, which is covered under SCI. Like, you know, if, if we had Monte Carlo's phones, you know, um, or it's, it's diplomatic communications broken. If I talk to you about this on this line or anybody else, it's a jailable offense. And that was beat into my head. And so he has committed a felony. Now the question is, is he above the law? And that's, that's to be seen. But the other question, in fact, the biggest question of all, surely, Bob, is why did he do this? What, what was the purpose of squirreling away all this top secret information um, I mean, this is a man who had contempt for the intelligence briefers. He never bothered with the presidential daily briefing. He wasn't interested. And yet suddenly when he's leaving office, he has a lot of interest and he squirrels away all kinds of documents. And as far as I know, the methodology was that he was for months preparing this stuff, particularly after he lost the election in the interregnum between then in November and, and January of 2021. It looks as if he prepared a cache of stuff, cherry-pick what he really wanted, and as far as I can tell, the motive was he wanted to monetize these secrets. I mean, what else? why else? This is a guy with no intellectual curiosity. He wasn't taking stuff home because it, he thought it was interesting, but I think it has to be another motive. And the only other one that I can think of is he wanted to monetize this stuff or give it to his friend uh, Vladimir or uh, Mohammed bin Salman? Oh, I think absolutely. I mean, these documents, you, you, you could never get them cleared to write a memoir, for instance. And you're right, he has no interest in the subject matter. I mean, that has been established. He himself has admitted that he doesn't read. So it wasn't some burning curiosity. And, you know, monetize it. Yes, he can have visitors down to Mar-a-Lago and, and, and 
Mohammed bin Salman maybe one day and show Mohammed bin Salman how we collect intelligence on Saudi Arabia, which is frankly, from what I know, is all intercepts, top secret stuff of some sort. Um, and, and then they get to defend themselves. Um, he, Mohammed bin Salman, for instance, would know just how strong the case was against him for chopping up with a bone saw a dissident named Khashoggi. Uh, or their simple blackmail, because the National Security Agency from time to time will pick up leaders talking to American leaders like a senator or Nancy Pelosi. And if there's some sort of blackmail that he intended to use against his opponents or journalists, this stuff is just scooped up by the National Security Agency and is shown to the president, is unmasked, or somebody verbally will tell him. So there is no good motivation for squirreling this stuff away. And he knew full well it was supposed to go to the National Archives. So beyond that, when the president is given a top secret report, or like from the CIA, it's called a blue striper, it's never left with him for that very purpose. It's sort of like the president eyes only. So if he was making copies of this stuff, which is appearing in the press, it was for some sinister motive. Um, now, the question is, of course, is, is it is there does he have a controller? And we don't know that. I mean, does did he intend to give this stuff to Putin next time he sees him? I mean, that's sheer speculation. It doesn't do us any good to even wonder about it. But it goes back to his his committing a felony, um, which he's now admitted. And will this Department of Justice stand up to it? And as we've talked about, he has put the lives of FBI agents in danger by, uh, you know, sending the unredacted warrants and receipts around. It's on the Internet. You know, well, Breitbart. Send it to Breitbart. It's, 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 yeah, it's, it's on Telegram now. And, and with those names, you can find the houses and family members of the FBI agents. So they're going to have to be put under protection or moved. I mean, this is, this is you know, endangering federal agents is also against the law. It's, you know, right. Protected Identities Act, I think it's called. And they were protected because they're redacted. So he's violated a second law there, his lawyers have. Now, what's going to happen when one of these FBI agents is murdered? Is he going to get away with this? Is, it, is this a full-on attack on, on law enforcement? Uh, you know, this is just... Ian, well, it's not just the law enforcement. He's got to go to jail. Right. It's not just law enforcement because it's, he's also threatening the judge. And Fox News have put pictures of the judge up on their screens. And we already had an incident on Wednesday of a, uh, a character who was inspired by uh, Trump and the Republicans' outrage over uh, what happened with the document seizure at Mar-a-Lago. Um, he went to the FBI office in Cincinnati with a nail gun. He tried to use the nail gun to smash through the bulletproof glass, and then he was he had an AR-15, and he was had a car chase shootout with the Ohio State Police, and then eventually he was cornered in a cornfield and shot. And he, he's been on, on Truth Social, Trump's website, a regular visitor, and he's also been in chat rooms with Marjorie Taylor Greene. And he also 
was it um, January the 6th, the insurrection. So Trump, in effect, isn't he sicking the insurrectionists on the FBI and on the judge? He is inciting violence. And by the way, one way to get through bulletproof glass rather than shooting it is cracking it open with a nail gun. It may seem silly to a lot of people, but there are vulnerabilities. Anyhow, um, yes, he's sicking. He's, he's inciting violence against police officers, against the FBI, and that's what they are, police officers. Uh, or any attacks on the federal government. He is doing this. He is trying to start a civil war. I mean, the, the, this isn't, Ian, this is not hypothetical. It's happening in front of our eyes. I'm not saying this to be a civil war, but he's certainly trying to start one. And again, I'm speaking of Robert Baer, one of the most accomplished agents in CIA history and the winner of the Career Intelligence Medal. He's the author of four New York Times bestsellers, including Sleeping with the Devil, How Washington Sold Our Soul for Saudi Crude. And he's considered one of the world's foremost authorities on the Middle East and is an intelligence and national security affairs analyst for CNN. And his latest book is The Fourth Man, The Hunt for a KGB Spy at the Top of the CIA and the Rise of Putin's Russia. So... I know, Bob, you believe that this man is not just a, a criminal but a traitor, and I certainly believe it, and and I've really studied as hard, and you have, and you've got some, some pretty good sources both here and in in Russia. I've also talked to Peter Strzok, who has written about it, uh, about what a danger Trump is, and he's a counterintelligence officer, and the truth of the matter is the real file on Trump and all of his criminality and treason are in the counterintelligence files, which can't be made public because of their sensitivity of sources and methods. So when is this guy going to be stopped? I mean, he should have been stopped in the 1980s after his visit to the Soviet Union on July the 4th of 1987. He should have been stopped in the 90s with all the money laundering and in the 80s all the Russian money laundering and throughout his entire career. And then in 2016, for some reason or other, the Democrats dropped the ball, and particularly Hillary Clinton. They never released to the public everything he knew. Obama had the whole file on on what Putin was up to, and it wasn't from the, that much ballyhooed steel dossier. It actually came from a human source that the CIA had inside the Kremlin who gave them the actual information, which which Obama had, of how Putin was helping Trump and hurting Hillary and McConnell and, and Paul Ryan refused to sign off on releasing that information to the public. I mean, this is a whole story of, of how this guy's been one step ahead of the sheriff. And for God's sake, what's wrong with us? Why can't we, one, recognize who he is when it's so, he's so damn flagrant, and two, hold him to account? Well, no, I mean, it's it, look, the insurrection on the 6th of January... We, the public records there. He incited these people in so many words. His allegiance to Putin was in no doubt when he went to Helsinki and said, I trust Putin more than I do my own intelligence community. He basically stated that his loyalties are with Russia. The problem with espionage laws uh, and the rest of it is you need a smoking gun. That's very clear to me after I did this book. You need a smoking gun. They just will not take uh, human sources, hearsay, money laundering, and and take it to court. They can't. They've just decided they cannot get this through a jury and get a conviction 
You can't take a president, no matter what the FBI believes. And if Strzok says that he is, is, is a spy and disloyal, he said in so many words, I trust him. They look at this evidence, but they also go to the prosecutors in the Eastern District and they say, can we get a conviction on this? And the prosecutors say no under American espionage laws. Uh, even if the totality of evidence suggests his loyalties lie in Moscow, and he's, Trump has said that's where his loyalties are. So, I mean, it's like, I'm not saying anything original here. You can't do anything about it. And the Russians have learned that you pay uh, your assets, whether people that force Brexit or wherever, you pay through proxies, or you pay through sweetheart deals in Russia or you pay in oil trades discounts. They understand this. You're never gonna see a picture of Donald Trump handing over documents to a Russian intelligence officer or taking money, because that's not the way Russians do business anymore. They figured that out in the Cold War. It doesn't work. You pay, there's a lot of ways to pay proxies. And then the proxies pay whoever. And it's all understood and there's no secret communications and you don't need if if you're loyal to Russia as as Putin is, as he's I mean, as Trump says he is. You don't have a, some sort of, you know, coded messages you're sending back and forth. Russians wouldn't even think about it. So that's the problem. You've got a, a liberal democracy with very strict laws of who could be prosecuted. And who can't? But there's and, this, you know, there's this stuff though that that the FBI found in Mar-a-Lago. Do you think it might cross the threshold? I mean, it, it's obvious that oh, uh, it's crossed the threshold. It's a jailable offense taking SCI out. The question is, uh, does does Biden have the nerve to indict him? Uh, and he's very indictable. I mean, you know. He, I mean, look, Petraeus did it. Uh, he was resurrected. Sandy Berger took documents, but nothing like what Trump. I mean, they've got the evidence in hand to put him in jail. I have no idea whether that's crossed, you know, anybody's truly considering that. I just wouldn't know. Right. But, but in terms of Trump's motive for taking these documents out in the first place, the We've discussed the, that he wants to monetize these secrets and use them for blackmail. Why would he take the file on Macron, for example, the president of France? Well, that's a, that's a good question. I can speculate that they, you know, that they probably got into, this is just total speculation. They, you know, one of his colleagues, they, they got into his cell phone. Uh, Macron has, you know, is his, his, you know, could, could they destroy Macron? I mean, look, he, he did not steal a file on Macron that, that simply, you know, his analysis of French politics, who he is, what he is. Trump wouldn't understand it. He wouldn't take it. But there's some damning piece of evidence that he could either help or destroy Macron in that file. Uh, that's, that would be a good bet. And then in terms of uh, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, we know that Jared Kushner got $2 billion gift from him against the advice of the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund. Is that some kind of payoff? We know that Trump is now uh, working with the Saudis on a golf tour in competition with the PGA. 
Well, of course it is. I mean, they didn't. Mohammed bin Salman has at his fingertips the best financial managers in the world. Why would he take somebody like Jared Kushner, who's nothing about money management, and hand him $2 billion unless it were a flat-out bribe? Come on. There's, there's no other explanation. <laughs> Mohammed bin Salman, they, they've got offices in New York, their sovereign wealth fund, which are very profitable. So why would you go to an amateur and let him run a fund? I have to assume that Kushner or somebody went to the Saudis and say, hey, guys, get off WhatsApp because we just caught you chopping up uh, Khashoggi. Uh, maybe you could use Proton or whatever they told them. I don't know what Americans listen to, Signal or the rest of it or some other you know, a, a device, but just get off this stuff. And so you could, I bet you anything that our intelligence on Trump's friends, whether Putin or Mohammed bin Salman, is zero now because because of them. Well, that, that's just a safe that's safe speculation. What can I tell you? <laughs> I know, but as I say, this guy's been one ahead, step ahead of the sheriff all his business life and his political life for what it's worth, and he's caused so much trouble, and he's still dividing this country and exacerbating the divisions. And you even said that he's encouraging civil war. And that's exactly uh, Vladimir Putin's playbook. I mean, this is the gift that keeps on giving. Trump is the perfect instrument to divide and weaken America. And yet so many people in this country admire him for reasons which are absolutely mystifying. But this is a comment on us as well as everything else, right? How did we get this far? It How did is. we end up with a career criminal and a traitor in the White House? Go figure. Uh, I mean, Ian, I can find you people on the far right who at least don't work for other governments. So I don't understand it. Uh, there's some sort of cult going on here which we, we can't comprehend. Well, Robert Bear, I thank you very much for joining us here today. Thanks. And again, I've been speaking with Robert Baer, one of the most accomplished agents in CIA history and the winner of the Career Intelligence Medal. He's the author of four New York Times bestsellers, including Sleeping with the Devil, How Washington Sold Our Soul for Saudi Crude, and he's considered one of the world's foremost authorities on the Middle East and is an intelligence and national security affairs analyst for CNN. And his latest book is The Fourth Man, The Hunt for a KGB Spy at the Top of the CIA and the Rise of Putin's Russia. We're going to take a brief station break and back assessing the reports in the Washington Post that Trump took nuclear secrets with him from the White House. Listen, do you want to know a secret? Do you promise not to tell? Whoa, whoa, closer. Welcome back. I'm Ian Masters, and this is Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. 
And joining us now, Joseph Serenzioni, a national security analyst and author with over 35 years of experience working in Washington, D.C. He's the author or editor of seven books, including Nuclear Nightmares, Securing the World Before It's Too Late, and Bomb Scare, The History and Future of Nuclear Weapons. He previously served as president of the Plowshares Fund, a global security foundation, and as director of for non-proliferation at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, among other positions. He also worked for over nine years on the professional staff of the Armed Services Committee and the Government Operations Committee in the U.S. House of Representatives. Welcome to Background Briefing, Joseph Serenzioni. Well, thanks for joining us, uh, Joe. And (laughs) and in in terms of the House of Representatives, you know, the reports came out pretty uh, soon after the uh, FBI executed the search warrant last Monday at Mar-a-Lago and took um, over 20 boxes of uh, classified information. The Washington Post reported that there were nuclear documents among them and that the Post is standing by that story. But the, in defense, the Republicans in the House had a press conference and the ranking member of the House Intelligence Committee, representing Mike Turner of Ohio, said... I can tell you that there were a number of things that fall under the umbrella of nuclear weapons, but that are not necessarily things that are truly classified. Many of them you can find on your own phone. And then Representative Chip Stewart, a Republican of Utah, said, was it nuclear? Was it? Heck, maybe it was aliens. What's the point? We don't know. We're asking them to tell us. So you have a long career studying nuclear issues, and I worked at Los Alamos for a number of years, and I can tell you that people there take nuclear security incredibly seriously, and anybody with the Sinwitty critical nuclear weapons design information clearances know (laughs) the value of that kind of information to anybody that's from a hostile foreign power or from a terrorist group would be willing to pay billions and millions of dollars for that kind of information. And this is what get I wonder about, Joe, because nobody's really focusing on, very few people are focusing on the obvious question is, why did Trump take these documents in the first place? Nah. Why did he do this? What is it about this man and his priorities? Why would he take documents that are top secret? For what purpose? That, that is an excellent question, and it's one that I've been thinking about a lot. I, many people listening to the show right now are now familiar with these initials, uh, TSSCI, Top Secret Special Compartmentalized Information. This is the highest level of classification. I held that classification level for many years, first in the House, and then as an advisor to the State Department. So I can tell you that while it's true uh, that some nuclear-related materials are overly classified. It's, you, you wouldn't, it's always perplexed me that why some things were considered classified information. That is not true when you get to the top secret and the top secret special compartmentalized information level. That stuff is serious, and especially SCI, that's classified at that level usually to protect sources and methods, the way we got the intelligence, the way we got the photos, the way we got the human intelligence that's informing us about a particular program, etc. That is highly classified. I know people who have gotten fired 
for taking home a single document, a single classified document that they weren't supposed to. And at the SCI level, you cannot have those leave the secure facility. You can't take them back to your office, let alone take them home. So this is an extremely rare event period for anybody. And to have boxes of them, we know that he's got one box of TS. SCI information of the FBI sees, four boxes of top secret, three of secret, and three of confidential. That is a lot of classified information. So why? What is he interested in? I mean, Trump doesn't does he care about projections of future force levels? Um, does he care about the details about the performance of a particular system? Why would he be taking these? Well, I can think of two countries that might be interested in this. And remember, this warrant was interested, uh, issued because of suspected crimes, violations of the Espionage Act. So right away, this whole thing is about other countries. It's about espionage. It's not just violating arcane document um, protection laws. This is about a, a concern on the government that he was going to show or give or trade these documents to another country. There are two countries I can think of where Trump has a special interest, financial, political, maybe psychological, that might be interested in these documents, and those are Russia and Saudi Arabia. He has deep financial interest with both countries. You know, with Vladimir Putin, he has a strange psychological connection. He already has a history of disclosing classified information to Russia. You remember early in his presidency, he disclosed classified information to Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov in the Oval Office, a little mini scandal that lasted for weeks. So that's where I'd be speculating. That's where I would be focusing my interest. What is going on between Saudi Arabia and Trump, Russia and Trump? What kind of documents might he have that'd be interesting either one of those two countries? And again, I'm speaking with Joseph Serencioni, a national security analyst and author with over 35 years of experience working in Washington, D.C. He's the author and editor of seven books, including Nuclear Nightmares, Securing the World Before It's Too Late, and Bomb Scare, The History and Future of Nuclear Weapons. And he previously served as president of the Plowshares Fund, a global security foundation, and was director for nonproliferation at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, and also worked for over nine years on the professional staff of the United States Armed Services and Government Operations Committee in the United States House. House of Representatives. Well, it's certainly paradoxical, Joe Serencioni, that when Trump was in office, he had contempt for intelligence. He didn't want to be briefed. He didn't read the daily intelligence brief that the CIA prepares for him, which other presidents take incredibly seriously. So right. why is it that a president who had no use for intelligence while he was in office suddenly has a great deal of interest in intelligence after he leaves office? And what went on in that period between the time that he lost the election and that Biden was inaugurated? I mean, to take this stuff home, he had to have all that stuff copied. And it looks as if he, he must have had a staff. And you've got people like Cash Patel, who worked for Devin Nunez, who's been incredibly suspicious in his treatment of the Russians and attempts to bury any information that connects Trump to Putin. And Kash Patel, of course, went across to the Pentagon and, and looks as if he was involved in stopping the Pentagon 
from sending help to Capitol Hill during the riot. I mean, these people are very suspicious. We know that the the Russians bought Dinah Rohrabacher, congressman out here in Orange County. So, you know, if you, <laughs> it wouldn't be surprising to me that the Russians invested in Devin Nunez. He had a very key position as chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. But speculation aside, that is the only explanation why these boxes got there in the first place. Trump had to cherry-pick what he wanted, have them copied, and then taken down there. You, don't, you can't take original copies out, particularly SCI stuff. Well, I, I wouldn't be so sure you couldn't take original. One of the briefers of... Uh, has said John Bolton, who was, as you know, a national security advisor, has said that when they would brief Trump, Trump would often ask, can I keep that document? And they would say, no, Mr. President, you can't. But they were all concerned by the fact that he was asking about this. I mean, Trump isn't the kind of guy who takes work documents home at night to study them for an important meeting the next day. So, so while the Bolton says in, in his briefings he never gave the documents to Trump. I don't think you could have the same confidence that others did not. So it is possible for you to keep documents, particularly in the Oval Office, and and then just put them, take them upstairs to the residence, and then from there down to Mar-a-Lago. So it's and that's apparently what how the FBI tracked them. Remember, if the original documents were still in the possession of the government, they wouldn't know they were missing. They wouldn't necessarily know they were, they were copies. So that's number one. N- n- number two, you know, I think we have to look at how Trump's M.O. is towards to the whole government. During the whole four years in office and during the campaigns, he's been making money off of this. He has monetized every single aspect of his government, whether it's holding meetings at his golf courses so people had to pay to, to come there or uh, and in this case, I think he is monetizing government information. He's seeing that there's an opportunity for him to possibly make some money, some big money or to prevent, in the case of Russia, some um, incriminating information from coming out about him, something that he can offer to Putin, for example, uh, to, to stay in Putin's good graces. So that, those are the two angles I'd be looking at as to what his motivation was. It certainly wasn't to write his memoirs or to uh, stay, to, to study the, the weapon system. He wanted to do something with them. And the Justice Department and the FBI felt that there was an urgent enough case that these documents were at risk of being transferred, that they, act, they had to act. They couldn't just keep letting this process be drawn out with subpoenas and requests that Trump was continually denying or lying about. Well, indeed, it's cited the United States Code violations that are cited in the documents that were made public on uh, Friday, USC 793, that is the transmission of classified defense information. So, yes. uh, and your point's well taken, Joe Serenciani, that of course Trump has no intellectual curiosity. Although he does have a macabre uh, kind of fascination with nuclear weapons. When he, when he was first briefed after the election in 2016, when he was in Trump Tower during the transition, the first briefings were from the CIA and from uh, the State Department. And apparently he kept asking the briefers, what 
what a nuclear bomb over explosion over Manhattan would do, and really got into kind of <laughs> macabre detail. So mm. this is a this is a very unstable man. But when you talk about the Saudis and, and monetizing his, in other words, trading in public service for private interest, already his son-in-law got a two billion dollar gift from Mohammed bin yeah. Salman, and now we know that. Trump is hosting the Saudis' golf tour in competition with the PGA. So something's going on there, surely, that uh, needs to be explored. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I, I believe that a lot of these Republicans who have rallied around Trump um, for obvious reasons, he's the most popular uh, person in the Republican Party, he's the kingmaker, they are currying his favor, are, are going to be severely embarrassed as this investigation proceeds and it's and it's revealed as to what was going on here and who he was connected with right now the republican frame is that it's it's trump versus the deep state it's trump versus the biden justice department who are out to get him but once you start finding out and i believe if they release the affidavit and remember there are there are news organizations who have asked that the affidavit not just the warrant which lists the material collected, but the affidavit, why they wanted to get this, what they were concerned about, what their probable cause was for being concerned about these documents. There's requests to release that, that uh, the judges asked for filings by five o'clock on Monday. If we get that affidavit, I think this whole investigation, this whole incident is going to take a very serious turn uh, towards the, I believe uh, the, and we probably won't get the naming of the countries, but towards the the charge of selling or transferring material to other countries. And that is a completely different cast on the struggle, one that many, many Republicans are going to have deep trouble defending. And the affidavit, of course, is, is the document that the FBI and the DOJ prepared for the, the federal magistrate, Bruce Reinhardt, in Florida. Uh, to justify the right. search. And uh, uh, and you can bet that that has got to be a very compelling document. I mean, no judge is going to do this lightly, not just because it's the president of the United States, but because it's this president. And a judge has to know what's going to happen to him or her personally when they take this kind of action. You see this magistrate has already gotten death threats from supporters. In, in the warrant itself, Breitbart News got a copy of it, probably from Trump, and released it without redacting the names of the agents who executed the warrant. And the purpose of that is to target the agents, is to bring pressure. This whole culture of violence and threats and trying to intimidate anyone who opposes you by physical violence, you're seeing that more and more in the, in the Trump m movement. So every, anyone who touches an investigation of Trump has to know that their very lives are at risk. So they are not going to do something like this lightly, certainly not for frivolous reasons, not for minor violations of the law. You know that this case is serious, much more serious. And let me just add one more thing. We didn't even know there was a grand jury investigating this. We had no knowledge of this whole investigation before the, the search actually happened earlier this week. So there's a lot going on here that we still don't uh, know about. And we got to be grateful for the, um, the patriotic 
justice, members of the Justice Department, of the FBI, and of the judicial system who were doing their job in the face of this intimidating Trump network and operation. Well, indeed, the unredacted warrant was in Trump's possession and Trump's possession only. And yes. it, it ended up with Breitbart. So you, <laughs> the conclusion there is obvious. Um, and the affidavit uh, apparently was prompted, or the information in the affidavit was prompted from an insider in Mar-a-Lago. So yes. that's what's going on. Somebody saw something going on there or has been an informant for the FBI. And I spoke the other day with Peter Strzok, who was deputy head of counterintelligence at, at the FBI. And he said, short of, of the mendacity that we're talking about, which is Trump monetizing um, secrets or doing favors for Putin and, and Mohammed bin Salman, short of that, a telephone repairman who's a Cuban illegal working for the FSB could get into Mar-a-Lago um, and get mm. hold of this material. So excellent there is, of course, excellent point. I mean, that's a, a USC twenty seventy one is covered by that, the concealment, mutilation, and removal of documents, and USC fifteen nineteen, which again was cited in the search warrant, the destruction. So it looks as if there's more than a smoking gun here, Joe. Yes, I mean it, it, this. This is an extremely serious case. As I say, I, I've known several people who have lost their jobs mishandling, just mishandling, without any uh, evil in, uh, intent, mishandling classified information, they lost their jobs. Here we have a former president of the United States, the first president who has ever been accused of anything like this. No president has ever uh, improperly brought home classified information. No, nothing comes close to this. And we have uh, uh, 11 boxes of classified information that he stole from the U.S. government and refused to give back. Let's remember this. There was a month-long process by the government to try to get these documents back, requests, subpoenas, meetings, and he stonewalled on all of this, and this is the result. This, this case is just getting started, and it, it might it be the case that finally brings Donald Trump down. You do not mess with the Espionage Act. Joe Serenciani, I thank you very much for joining us here today. Thank you, Ian. And again, I've been speaking with Joseph Serenciani, who is a national security analyst and author with over 35 years of experience working in Washington, D.C. He's the author and editor of seven books, including Nuclear Nightmares, Securing the World Before It's Too Late, and Bomb Scare, The History and Future of Nuclear Weapons. He previously served as president of the Plowshares Fund, a global security foundation, and was director for nonproliferation at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace and he also worked for over nine years on the professional staff of the Armed Services Committee and the Government Operations Committee in the United States House of Representatives. We're going to take a brief station break. We're back looking into Exhibit A of Trump's recklessness. He's got the whole world in
Welcome back. I'm Ian Masters, and this is Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. And joining us now is David Rote, an executive editor of the New York Times and a former reporter for Reuters, the New York Times, and the Christian Science Monitor. He won his first Pulitzer Prize for a series in the Christian Science Monitor that helped uncover the Srebrenica massacre in Bosnia and won his second Pulitzer in 2009 as part of the New York Times' teams covering Afghanistan and Pakistan. He's also the co-author of A Rope and a Prayer, which is about his experience being kidnapped by the Taliban in Afghanistan. And his latest book is In Deep, The FBI, the CIA, and the Truth About America's Deep State. And his most recent articles at The New Yorker are After the Trump Raid, Silence is Not an Option for Merrick Garland, and Exhibit A of Trump's Recklessness. Welcome to Background Briefing, David Rode. Thank you. Thanks, Ian, for having me on. Well, thanks for joining us, uh, David. And it's very puzzling to understand what the purpose of uh, Trump squirreling away these documents. He was somebody that when he was in office uh, was pretty contemptuous of the intelligence community, thought that at one point he said they should go back to school. He didn't like the, taking the presidential daily brief. So why do you think it was that for a president who basically had no interest in intelligence when he was in office would have such an interest in intelligence after leaving office and taking all of these classified documents with him? I, I don't know. <laughs> um, and I, I, I can kind of speculate, but I, th- it is a great question and a, and a great mystery because it's, it's true. He was deeply skeptical of um, the intelligence community. He, he was not very engaged during intelligence briefings. So um, this is a, a mystery. Um, w- one theory um, is that, you know, these could have been um, documents and mementos that somehow meant something to him. Uh, what was interesting was that part of the inventory was that uh, the, the the papers where he commuted the sentence of Roger Stone was among the documents found. You know, I think there was some other reporting about possibly the letters from Kim Jong-un, the, the North Korean dictator. But I, I honestly don't know. It's a very strange situation. And, you know, as people have been saying, no other former president has done anything like this. Well, the USC Code 793, which is one of the three uh, USCs uh, that were mentioned in the search warrant, and the 793, 2071, and 1519, they had to do with concealment and mutilation of documents and destruction of documents. But USC 793 is the transmission of classified defense information. So there is some speculation that he could be could have squirreled away these documents in order to monetize them, or I mean, in other words, why would he have a, a dossier if that's what it is on Macron? So there's that suspicion. But on the other hand, there's a history, as you point out, of Trump's recklessness, and apparently he didn't do much about uh, preparing for a transition because he refused to leave and didn't believe. Well, who knows whether he believed he lost or not, but. He wouldn't leave until after about, I think, January the 6th. That's when they started to move out. So is it possible that it's just a case of willy-nilly throwing stuff into boxes and getting out of town? That is possible. Um, But the problem is that um, in January, you know, there were the 15 boxes that were returned to the National Archives. So there was this, you know, uh, period from January until June when... um, 
theoretically, if it had been a mistake, everything could have been returned um, to the National Archives and, and to the government. And the latest reporting on this uh, from the Times, you know, is that a lawyer for Trump um, signed a statement during this meeting in June with uh, a Justice Department official and some FBI officials, it appears, saying that all of the classified information had been turned over to the government. And obviously that was not true. They, you know, found at least 11 sets of classified information in the raid a few days ago. Uh, so that lawyer is potentially um, in legal jeopardy now because that, that apparently was a false statement. So that maybe again, so that's what's so astonishing here is, uh, you know, if you wanted to be generous, you could say this was a mess, uh, sorry, a mistake and a messy departure from the White House. But you can't say that um, after this meeting in June. No, and apparently in that June uh, meeting, he did hand over documents that contained some of his love letters to Kim Jong-un. So, but he, preemptively, he has said, and he's now in MAGA world and, and through the echo chamber they have, he's now basically going after the deep state and after the FBI in particular. He's already suggested that the FBI, FBI planted those documents. Of course, there's video, apparently. I don't know whether Trump was watching the FBI go through his home and papers, his office and apparently his bedroom and the, and the storeroom, all of which was on CCTV. Somebody, or perhaps Trump, was watching it in Trump Tower in New York since he was there for a deposition. So they can't have it both ways, can they, really? There's video, and he's, you know, they saw it in real time, according to the lawyer that was there, although she's from AON, not exactly the, the sharpest uh, tool in the toolbox. But nevertheless, what's your sense of demonizing the FBI? Is that something that's going to continue? And we've already had ramifications of that in the attack on the Cincinnati FBI office. Absolutely. He will continue to demonize the FBI. He will blame the deep state. He will say he was framed. Um, the, you know, these allegations won't make sense, but that, that doesn't mean that they're effective. I mean, one, you pointed out one contradiction. Another one is so Trump's claiming that he, you know, declassified all of these documents, but, you know, simultaneously he's claiming that the FBI um, planted documents. So how did the FBI know to plant the, you know, the documents that he'd already declassified? Like it's, it's, it's preposterous, but the danger is that is that it's effective. And I, I, I don't think it's, you know, uh, I mean, I don't, it's impossible to know exactly the public views, but I think, you know, a majority of Americans, you know, um, don't believe these conspiracy theories about the FBI, but, uh, you know, his political base does. And yes, you mentioned we already saw the result, this this shooting and, you know, no FBI agents and law enforcement officials were hurt, but this 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 follower of Trump and Navy veteran, you know, died um, in attacking the uh, FBI office in uh, Cincinnati. Well, but the unredacted version of the search warrant on Mar-a-Lago, which was in Trump's possession, ended up with Breitbart, and they're putting it out. And those FBI agents now are in jeopardy, are they not? They are. I mean, and that's what's so alarming about all of this, and that that it's it's a pattern of, and I guess my conclusion of of recklessness and 
you know, I've talked to former Trump administration officials just actually in the last week before the search warrant was released, and they talked about a change in him that, that you know, when his when the White House counsel sort of advised him to not cross certain red lines, famously Don McGahn, you know, refused to carry out uh, his orders to fire Robert Mueller, um, but that, that Trump listened to the to these lawyers and, and he would be careful um, to not cross red lines. And all of that seems to have vanished after he lost the 2020 election and his behavior obviously mounting, you know, a, a failed coup on January 6th, um, you know, having an armed mob storm the Capitol is just unprecedented and astonishing. And what's dangerous now is he's, you know, spreading these false conspiracy theories that endanger FBI agents could lead to political violence. And again, already this, this Navy veteran who was a just completely loyal supporter of Trump, you know, died um, in this, you know, after he was surrounded by law enforcement and, and wouldn't surrender. Um, and this, according to this person's social media posts, it was all to attack the FBI for raiding Trump's house. So it's, you know, I'm I'm very nervous about the dynamic that's emerging. But David Rode, since your latest book is in deep, the FBI, the CIA, and the truth about America's deep state, they're going to drum up all kinds of conspiracy theories already about the deep state and attribute what's happening uh, to Trump vis-a-vis the FBI seizure of his documents at at Mar-a-Lago as an operation of the deep state. But is there any way, I mean, we are in post-truth America, so I'm not sure about how the truth intrudes on people that are that are living in alternative realities, but if there were such a thing as a deep state, Mueller's inquiry would have been much more effective. The January 6th insurrection wouldn't have, wouldn't have happened. I mean, is there anybody that can basically come forth and say, look, there's no such thing as a deep state, <laughs> arguably, you know, maybe there should have been a deep state to prevented January the 6th, but it clearly doesn't exist. And maybe there's a good reason for that, which is our freedoms. But still, it's just so pernicious, this idea that there's such a thing that doesn't exist. And yet it's become a bedrock belief system amongst millions of Americans, particularly those in MAGA world. Yeah, it's really, it's a, I mean, it's, it, it, it frightens me. It's it's tragic, and that all these people are are being taken advantage of. And and look, there there have been periods of abuse by the FBI. Um, you know, famously J. Edgar Hoover during the Cold War and harassing Martin Luther King and King and Students for a Democratic Society. And after nine eleven, you know, the FBI cracking down and racially profiling Muslims. And you know, a long long history of of bias, but. The kind of deep state that Donald Trump is alleging simply doesn't exist. You know, Jim Comey's announcement in the days before the 2016 election that he was reopening Hillary Clinton's email investigation helped swing the election for Trump. You, you cited a couple examples as well that that if this deep state is so effective, he never would have been president, nor would, you know, January 6th have happened. But people believe this, and I guess all I can hope is that the majority of Americans that that, you know, um, frankly, um, sort of moderate Republicans, you, you've seen how some Senate Republicans have been much more muted in their criticism of the FBI. House Republicans, Kevin McCarthy, have been incredibly vocal 
And I think there is a divide in the Republican Party about uh, Trump's recklessness. And um, I'll just quickly say, and we can talk about this more, I, I, I was very impressed with the press conference that Merrick Garland gave this week. Um, you know, it was, it was well, we can talk more about it, but I, I thought that was an, a way for um, a senior government official to sort of respond to these deep state fears. Well, unfortunately, we've only got a, a minute or two left, David, but l let me ask you, though, where you think this is heading. Even if there is enough evidence and much of what is already being alleged uh, are felonies, uh, do you think that the Justice Department will just be satisfied with getting the documents back, or are they going to really take a very, very bold step, if you will, uh, of indicting a former president? I think it depends on what's actually in all the materials. I'm not sure they've gone through it all. I would not be surprised if if Trump was not was not prosecuted. I mean, the the, the most recent examples were David Petraeus, a former CIA director, Sandy Berger, a former um, national security advisor. They both pled to misdemeanors. Um, I could see, um, you know, a negotiation with Trump um, about this. But I'm again, I think Garland would would only um, indict the president if this was if he was selling this information, if he actually gave it to a foreign power. Um, but the rumors were swirl or swirl for months and I'm, tensions will rise until Garland makes that decision. Well, David Rode, I thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you. You're incredibly thoughtful. And again, I've been speaking with David Rode, who's an executive editor of The New Yorker and a former reporter for Reuters, The New York Times, and The Christian Science Monitor. He won his first Pulitzer Prize for a series in The Christian Science Monitor that helped uncover the Srebrenica massacre in Bosnia, and won his second Pulitzer in 2009 as part of The New York Times' team covering Afghanistan and Pakistan. He's also the co-author of A Rope and a Prayer, which is about his experience being kidnapped by the Taliban in Afghanistan. And his latest book is In Deep, the FBI, the CIA, and the truth about America's deep state. And his most recent articles at the New Yorker are After the Trump Raid, Silence is Not an Option for Merrick Garland and Exhibit A of Trump's Recklessness. This has been Background Briefing. I'm Ian Masters and I'd like to thank producer Graham Fitzgibbon and to help us sustain this program into the future and assure it remains free to all, please take a moment to support us by going to backgroundbriefing.org slash donate or publictruthmedia.org where you will find our non-profit Public Truth Media Foundation, where your tax-deductible donations, large and small, keep us broadcasting. And if you missed any of today's program and would like to explore our vast archives, you can find us at backgroundbriefing.org, where we'll include extended interviews searchable by topic and have made it easy for you to sign up for daily email updates that provide links to resources, articles, and books discussed on the program. Also, you can find links there to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we also encourage your ratings and reviews on these platforms. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Ian Masters Media. And please do help us reach more listeners by sharing this program with friends, family, and colleagues. And I'll be back again tomorrow with another background briefing at backgroundbriefing.org. Bye for now. The guy that lived next door in 305.